Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open in them to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be starting in verse 44 as we continue to look at the stories that Jesus told and the teachings uh, that, that Jesus gave us. Uh, and as we jump into it uh, this morning, um, back in June of 2020, uh, a, a man by the name of, of Chris Stauff found a treasure that many in the outdoor community have been searching for for about 10 years. There was a man named Forrest Fenn who was an antiques dealer uh, from the Four Corners region of the United States, and he was kind of a self-taught archaeologist and uh, went about collecting various coins and, and jewels uh, within the continental U.S. for a number of years, and, and he had uh, put these jewels and coins and whatnot into a little bronze box to which he had valued at about $1 to $2 million, and uh, it was his treasured possession. Uh, so much so that in 1988, when he received a diagnosis uh, of cancer, he said, hey, if I get to the point of death, I'm going to take this box out to my favorite place in the wilderness, and I'm going to die on top of it. I don't know why you would do that, but he said that's what he was going to do. Now, thankfully, uh, he didn't die, and in fact, over the course of his life, he decided, hey, uh, this treasure is something that uh, I feel like I need to share with others, and we were coming out of the Great Recession, and, and he felt like he could help somebody and create a little bit of fun along the way, and so he took his little bronze box in 2010, and he went somewhere into the Rockies, and he hid it uh, in his favorite spot, and then he put a clue out to the rest of the world. Now, the clue was written in the form of a poem called The Thrill of the Chase. And that was the only thing he gave the world around him to find his treasure. Well, it took 10 years for people to find it to the point where people were like, it's a hoax, it's not real. Uh, but then over the course of that time, over 10 years, uh, there were people who literally gave their life savings to get this treasure. Four people lost their literal lives trying to find this treasure. And then over the course of the time, there were stalkers who uh, were, were tracking uh, the Fenn family. There were death threats. There were home invasions. There were lawsuits. Uh, and there was also an attempted kidnapping. <laughs> it's a crazy story. It's true, right? Um, so here's the one thing I think we can pull from this story about Mr. Fenn is that uh, we tend to give all of ourselves to what we treasure. I mean, literally four people gave their lives. Many gave their life savings. We tend to give our all for that which we treasure. Well, we're wrapping up a section of teaching by Jesus, looking through a group of parables in Matthew chapter 13. A couple of weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago, we looked at the question that the disciples were likely asking that if Jesus is truly God, why doesn't everyone follow you? And that was the parable of the soils. And then the next week we looked at this question of if the kingdom of God is here, how can there still be so much evil in the world? And, and that's where Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and the tares. Last week, Ron uh, dug into the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven and looked at this idea of appearances can be deceiving. Saying the kingdom of God will start small, but it will expand into an unstoppable and beautiful force that will one day be brought to fruition when Jesus returns. And he encourages his followers to wait for it with patience and faith and declares, I am at work. Well, this morning we're going to look at the last grouping of his parables. And they're really four similes. Similes, you remember that? Let's stretch our brains, go back to our English class. What's a simile? Uh, it's basically the comparison of two things using like or as. All right? And so this is like a that. And so there's four similes we're going to read about today. Really, uh, at least starting off asking this question, how do people find the kingdom. Okay, Jesus, uh, the kingdom of God's at hand. It's expanding. It's beautiful. Um, how do we find it? 
Now, the irony of what we know from reading the book of Matthew, if you press on till the end, Jesus said time and time again, I am the kingdom. I am the embodiment of God and his perfect rule and reign, and I am bringing the characteristics of the kingdom already. And then there's a not yet aspect that will fully come. But, but Jesus, as always, is very patient uh, with those who you know, are a little uh, hard-headed, if you will. So let's read the four similes from Matthew chapter 13. Again, beginning in verse 44. Tune your ears. Listen for the words like especially. Okay, uh, Listen for the four similes as we read. So here's what Jesus taught. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drawed ashore and sat down and sorted the good container, sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Pray with me as we get going here this morning. Well, Jesus, I just simply pray that you will tune our ears and our hearts to this treasure of you. Lord, that by the end we will, by the power of your Spirit, find you to be the greatest treasure the world has ever known. Holy Spirit, would you speak in and through me? Would you work in every single one of our hearts? Lord, would you change us as a result of hearing your word, even incrementally today? We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So three points today are going to be in the form of three questions. And the first question is the one we've already asked. How do people find the kingdom of God? And so the first two similes really are are digging into this question. You see a a parable or a simile regarding a great treasure, right? So there's a treasure hidden in the field. A man goes out, finds it, covers it back up with joy. He sells all that he has and he buys that field. Here's what's happening. That might be strange for you. Have you ever buried your money in the backyard of your house? No, you ha- I hope you have it. Don't do that if you have, right? But what's happened is there's no banks back then, right? The world doesn't operate the same way as it does today. And oftentimes people would take that which is most valuable and they would bury it for safekeeping. And so uh, eventually uh, what could happen is that at times people would abandon the field in which they had buried the treasure. Maybe there was an invading army. Who knows, right? But the field gets abandoned. And then the picture here is uh, likely of, if you look at other Gospels, a laborer working in a field and, and plowing a field, working it, just raising things. It's not his field, but, you know, the plow kind of hits something. It's like, thunk, digs it up. It's a treasure. It's a treasure worth something that is far more than this worker has ever had. So he buries it for safekeeping, and he goes and he sells all that he has to buy the field, and he truly makes that treasure his. Now, again, don't overthink parables when Jesus tells them. Some of you might be like, well, that's unethical, that he would find that and then not do that and go sell it. Now, you know, even the rabbis back then would say, if you find money scattered about, it's the finders, all right? But this, don't overthink it. The point is the treasure, and the guy not looking for it 
and coming across it. Here's a second picture we see is it's uh, a little bit of a different search process. It's someone who is actually looking for jewelry. So this is probably a wealthier person, a jeweler who knows his, his jewels. He knows his pearls and he looks and he's looking through a sea of pearls and he finds the one. And he goes and he sells everything and he buys that pearl of great worth. And so here's the first observation I want to make when we just ask this question uh, of how do people find the kingdom? And I would just say this, there's no one way to find the kingdom. I mean, did you see the differences in the two stories? One, uh, you know, it's not based on things like socioeconomic class, right? Because you have a wealthy person and a laborer. One person wasn't searching for it at all and stumbled upon it. The other person was searching diligently and found it. There's no one way to find the kingdom. You know, when it comes to people understanding the kingdom and really coming to faith in the gospel, it reminds me of a couple of stories. One is my own. I'm the guy in the field. I had no interest in Christianity at 19 years old. I had basically run away from it and said, I want to get as far away as I can. And I stumbled upon the treasure of the gospel as depressed as I've ever been in a hotel room in Cleveland, Ohio, when I was reminded of a little Gideon Bible in a nightstand. And I opened it and I read it and the Lord began to go, here's the treasure. It's my son. And he took that thread and he weaved it through till March where I was still kind of running away and not looking. And, and he kept putting these guys in my life and, and, and kind of kept chasing me to come to this meeting uh, of uh, college students. And, and I went and I heard that they were going to the place I wanted to go party for spring break to Panama City Beach. And the bus ticket was cheaper with them than it was how I was going to get down there. And so I just figured I'd go by con- to the conference by day and I'd go party by night. And I heard of the treasure of the gospel. I was actually forced to go out and share the gospel. And I, I literally shared the gospel with myself. And that's where the Lord grabbed me. But then you also have a guy like C.S. Lewis, who I'm not comparing myself to. But C.S. Lewis at 17 said, I am a devout atheist. I have no interest in Christianity. But he continued to search for the meaning of life. He was great in philosophy and he was a voracious reader. And eventually he stumbled upon the writings of a guy named G.K. Chesterton that warmed his heart to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then you keep going, and he shows up at Oxford, and he met guys like O.J.R.R. Tolkien, right, writer of Lord of the Rings, among others. And they began to help him unpack the treasure of Jesus Christ. And you know the writings we have now of C.S. Lewis. My point is this. In a way, the kingdom finds those who it needs to find. And that can be remarkably freeing for us, who... Oftentimes, if we're worried about a loved one not finding Christ, we can be tied up in knots constantly saying, oh, they're not even searching, they're so far. Or they're searching in all the wrong places. What on earth are we going to do? And this is a picture saying, hey, uh, the kingdom of God can be found anywhere. The kingdom of God can find us in any condition. It's proof by the cross of Jesus Christ who came to a world who didn't really care. One of the stories in my own life where I saw this play out most profoundly is when my stepfather um, was diagnosed uh, with a disease that they said, in a couple of months, this is going to take your life. And that was one of the deepest griefs, not just because of the potential of losing him, but because I had been sharing the gospel with this man for 13 years. And increasingly, it was just like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. 
I wrote a letter after the diagnosis and just said, hey, this, please, 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 please. And it just, the coins weren't dropping. And in my mind's eye, I'm thinking, I'm the only person in this life, apart from my mom, right, who is in a different phase in uh, taking care of him, who is sharing the gospel with him. Whatever will happen. It just so happens that the man who gave my stepfather a ride to the uh, doctor's appointment where he heard the worst of the worst news, when it became kind of final, was a former black ops military guy who was about as hardcore as you would imagine. I would just was not envisioning this moment happening. But as he's driving with my stepfather, he reaches over, he grabs him in the chest, he goes, Wayne, I am certain that I am going to be worshiping Jesus Christ around the throne with you someday in eternity. And you might get there before I do, but I promise you, I think you're going to be there. Here's how you get there, Wayne. And he just shares the gospel with them. And he was like, whoa. I think he's like me. It's like, man, if I had some black ops dude talking to me about the gospel, but sir, I'm paying attention to what you're saying. Man, it, it was amazing how the Lord used that to say, hey, trust my work through my purposes at my pace and in my ways in the hearts of those we love. Now, I would say this. Colossians 4, Paul says, Pray that the door may be opened for the gospel. And that is one of the primary ways that we, as followers of Christ, are called to intercede for other people in the kingdom, in their search for it, or maybe no search at all. Now, there's more to that, and I'll pick that up here in just a moment. But here's the second observation, uh, is, is this idea that the picture we have of the kingdom and really the gospel of Jesus Christ here is the kingdom is worth everything, not just a little bit. What did both of them do? Pearl of great price, treasure. They sold all they had. The first one, it said, with joy. This isn't drudgery. But it was worth everything. Great sacrifice. But worth it. They literally can't rest until they find it. What's that thing in your life? What's your pearl? What's your treasure? What's that thing that you can't rest until you get it. You see, what it's plain here is Jesus saying, I'm not an accessory. I'm not something that you're just going to tack onto a gaming PC. I'm not just earrings to match the dress of your true treasure in life. I'm not the heated seats in your treasured truck. I'm everything, and I'm worth it. You see, the world around us holds before us many pearls and many treasures, right? And oftentimes these are good things, but when they become God things, our ultimate, the thing that we give all of ourselves to, it literally destroys us because we realize that ultimately it is a terrible return on investment. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. The list of things I'm getting ready to articulate, I'm not saying aren't worthy to be invested in, but it's not our ultimate. Here's some of the pearls that the world around us holds before us to say, this is your pearl. Comfort, power, and control. That is our culture. That's the suburbs in the West. You know, how's that doing in a pandemic? Where'd our comfort go? Right out the window. Where'd our control go? (laughs) We have none. We put our hope in things that uh, are now identity issues. It's our version of America. It's our sexuality. It's our ethnicity. It's our political policy. 
You know what? We've never been angrier. We've never been more anxious. We've never been more fearful. And it's because we realize these things can't be ultimate. Maybe we don't realize it, but it's playing out in our lives. It's like these folks who wanted this treasure, right? Fenn's treasure. And they're like, I'm not getting it. So I'm going to stalk you and I'm going to kidnap you. Isn't that what we've done today? This thing isn't working out the way that I had planned. And so I'm going to, I'm going to attack and I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get anxious. I'm going to get depressed. I'm going to cancel. Pandemic has squeezed out of us and shown us what our pearls of great price are. How do we combat these things? Well, I would say what we see throughout Scripture is look at the true treasure. Some of us just dismiss Jesus and say he's not worth it, and we've never really looked at him. We've never stared at this reality that when Jesus saw us rightfully headed towards eternal discomfort and judgment and not interested in, in us at all, Philippians 2, he laid down his comfort, his control, his power to come and die for us to make us his. When we were his spouse that failed him time and time again, Ephesians 5 says, he came to us, he laid his life down for us. When he looked and saw the spiritually poor and powerless and ashamed, do you know what he did? you know what the pictures we see the gospel over and over again are? He moved to the most shamed in the culture. The most powerless. The woman at the well. The prostitute the tax collectors, the lepers. The rabbi touched the dead body at great cost to himself to give them life. And if we don't see how Jesus treasures us, then we will never treasure him. What do we spend our time looking at? What's our treasure? One of my professors, Dan Doriani, says this, when we treasure the kingdom, it makes a difference in our course of life. We seek out and meditate on God's truth. We make time to pray and give thanks to our King. We will live by gospel standards by seeking to become more patient, gentle, forgiving, and merciful. We're willing to make sacrifices to practice our conviction that the kingdom is our supreme treasure. So here's the second question. We're going to go pretty quickly through these last two. What is our response to this treasure? We see it. It's right before us. Christ is presenting himself as the true treasure. Anthony, how did you get that question out of this next section? Because if you were listening, it's a little confusing. He goes from treasure to fish. That's weird. Does this even belong here? Well, in part, what this is doing is saying, hey, there's this fish. It goes in. It gathers all the fish in the sea. It brings it up on land, and God sorts the good from the bad. And essentially, he's sorting between the ones who have made Christ his treasure and those who haven't. And so, in essence, where the first is talking about this great treasure and its sacrifice and its worth, this section is saying, hey, now we're urging you to consider taking the action that is required. The kingdom is before you. Will you respond or not? In a way, it's saying God is supreme whether you want him to be or think he is or not. And that's demonstrated by what will happen at the final judgment. We will all see that he is the true, good, righteous, just, loving, good king. I believe it's an urging to bow the knee now and not later. Erwin Ince, a pastor in D.C., says this, To Jesus, the kingdom exists 
where not merely God is supreme, for that is true at all times and under all circumstances, but where God supernaturally carries through his supremacy against all opposing powers and brings people to the willing recognition of the same. He's basically saying God is supreme whether we think so or not. And the kingdom breaks in when eventually we bow the knee to him. So would you bow the knee to him today? Are you standing in judgment over him? Are you allowing him to stand in judgment over you and then offer you his grace in this treasure of the person and work of Jesus Christ? God's word essentially says this. The the way this happens, especially in the New Testament, as we read the Gospels in particular, is to repent and believe. Repent basically means turn away from and turn towards and then believe and have faith in him and who he says he is. So he's saying, turn away from the treasure that you give your all for and turn to me. And here's the other thing I think is important for this section, for those of us who follow after Jesus Christ, is it's actually a call not to fear. The disciples are probably sitting there going, oh man, but what happens if these people come and these don't, and persecution comes and and so on and so forth. And what he's saying here is, the end will come and they will see my face. And those who have found me to be their treasure and place their trust in me will live, will experience joy forevermore. Friends, the church professionalizes right now in fear-mongering. That's just all we do. This is happening. Oh my goodness, what's going to go on? The Equality Act is happening. What's going to happen to the church? With the Equality Act, can I just say this? My pastor, I call him, a guy named Matt Chandler in Texas said this to his congregation this last week. If you don't know what it is, look it up. Um, but, but essentially, he said this. If you're worried about the Equality Act, then be a good citizen of the United States of America and contact your senators, right? It's easy to do. I've done it before. Senators Casey and Toomey, they're really easy to at least give our two cents to. But as we're giving, as we're being citizens of this nation, be better citizens of the kingdom to come. Pray. Don't fear. Live out the hope of the already and the not yet of the gospel. Here's the last question. Do you understand? You see that question that Jesus posed? Have you understood all these things? Disciples who are listening, have you understood it? And they said, yeah, yeah, check, got it, we're good. Now that's hilarious because in the next chapter, the disciples are sending away the people Jesus said, I came to die for. And then in chapter 16, he's like, I got to go to the cross. They're like, don't go to the cross, Jesus. They're a little thick-headed. It gives me hope because I'm a little thick-headed, a lot thick-headed, right? But at that point, he's saying, okay, good, you've understood. Here's what that means for you. Now you'll see, he doesn't use a simile, he uses a metaphor. He says, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven, he's basically saying, you're now like a scribe. And what does that mean? A scribe in the Old Testament was somebody who was really kind of the keeper of the word. They would uh, transcribe God's word, right? And he's saying, you, you know the word of God from the Old Testament, and you also know the word of God from the new covenant, who is me, Jesus Christ. And you've now been trained. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, you've been trained. And now that you are that scribe, here's what it means. You are like a master of a house, verse 52, who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. 
One of the most stark pictures of uh, this Mr. Finn and his treasure of, from 1988 that struck me is the fact that he wanted to just go out and take this treasure of his and die on it. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> but later on in his life, he realized, no, no, treasure is meant to be shared. So I'm going to give it away. And friends, that's a picture of what we do with what we treasure, isn't it? I mean, think about it. When we truly treasure something, we share it. Grandparents, listen to me. Do you share the treasure of your grandchildren? Oh, yeah. Y'all come and grab me at the end of service and go, look at my grandbaby. Look at this. You got a PlayStation 5 for Christmas? You told everybody about it. When the Eagles won the Super Bowl, your treasured Eagles, were you like, hmm, I'm going to keep that to myself. No, I was in Ardsley. I, I don't care. I ran out the door yelling, go birds. Right? Met a group of people in the community center parking lot screaming, celebrating. We tell other people of that which we treasure the most. Here's what he's telling his disciples. Quit hoarding the gospel. Bring it out. You know how I know that that the church in America has kind of lost sight of this? Because all we can focus on are masks and getting back to normal and the quality of our live streams and, and so on and so forth. We need to be obsessed with taking the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ out of these doors to a world that is dying in hopelessness apart from Him. And I am the chief offender of not doing that. I'm reading the book of Revelation right now, y'all. If you want the Holy Spirit to give you a holy kick in the teeth or in the pants to take the gospel out these doors, read that book. Friends, can we bring it out from this place? Let's not Ebenezer Scrooge this thing and just move our, our gold from room 201 to 302. How do people find the kingdom? Well, in part, through those who have the treasure, showing others. So let me conclude with this as we move to communion. How do we find the kingdom? Well, friends, the treasure of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is actually always available to those who would simply respond to Him through repentance and faith. What will your response be today? And church, will we bring this treasure to others? Let me pray. Lord, where our eyes have not seen this treasure, convince our hearts of it today. Lord, where those of us who have followed you have allowed a lesser treasure to occupy our greatest investment of our lives, Convict us and turn us from it. And Lord, where your church is hoarding your treasure, would you shove us out these doors into the lives of others? Would you become so beautiful to us that we can't help but share you with the world around us? Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.